Welcome in to News and Views with Tom Lamprecht. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear. This is a crisis at our border that is going to get worse. It's a hurricane of migrants. Put a halt to the removal of Title 42. Biden administration passed a $1.7 trillion bloated spending bill. Adding more to inflation. Cases of flu and COVID spiking. Triple-demic. Atrocities and war crimes in Ukraine. Arctic blast time. A whole country pretty much going to feel it. Your life, your values, your voice. This is News and Views with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right, welcome in. News and Views for a Monday. Lots to talk about. And uh, it's interesting how the White House and uh, the press secretary continue to gaslight the American public. Cities along the U.S.-Mexican border are bracing for the end of Title 42, a pandemic-era immigration restriction set to expire this week. But the White House insists that this doesn't mean the border will be open. The expiration of Title 42 loomed large at the White House press conference today. Uh, Jean-Pierre said, I want to be very clear here. The fact is that the removal of Title 42 does not mean the border is open. Anyone who suggests otherwise is simply doing the work of these smugglers who, again, are spreading misinformation, which is very dangerous. It's interesting how they have changed the narrative. Well, in fact, while we're looking at them and I'm saying that they are gaslighting the American public, they're looking at Republicans and saying they are gaslighting the American public and the uh, Mexican smugglers that uh, they're using that to smuggle more people in. It's it's mind-boggling. But the interesting thing is, with a couple of exceptions, Democrats and Republicans that live along the border, border states and border cities, are unified on this, that the Biden administration is doing a total screw-up here by basically saying, okay, the Title 42 is done, so we can no longer send people back across the border because of COVID issues. Yeah, and maybe uh, maybe the American public should just believe their eyes, because if they look at the border, what's actually happening at the border, and probably only Fox News is showing it, um, you know, people are pouring over the border. To your point, Democrats and Republicans or states along the border are saying, hey, we need help, have been saying it for a long time. But yet the Democrats continue to act like there's nothing nothing going on there. It's just, just amazing to me. I mean, I don't see how they can say the, the Republicans are gaslighting because it, it's the facts. Just, you know, if Biden would go down there with camera crews from the mainstream media, America would see it. Now and, just uh, only Fox Yeah, now just only Fox News uh viewers see it. She went on to say those who do not have a legal basis to remain will be quickly removed. That that's laughable. And so we will continue to fully enforce our immigration laws in a fair, orderly and humane manner. You know, I I don't want to sound overly callous, but if we would quit housing and feeding these people. In fact, the Los Angeles mayor came out today and says she's going to remove illegals from tents and on the street and put them in motels and hotels. Well, how about the mayor the mayor of New York uh, over the weekend, uh, Eric Adams? Yeah, he's, he's basically come out, and, and kudos to uh, – the governors of Florida, DeSantis, and uh, the governor of Texas, um, name escapes me right now. Abbott. Abbott, Abbott, for, yeah. 
for sending people to other non-border states to experience what they've been experiencing for years. But Mayor Adams came out this weekend and said, hey, because we're spending so much money and so much resources on dealing with these migrants, maybe our city residents will go without some services provided that's normally provided by the city. So imagine that. Uh, but that's but that's the things that towns like El Paso and and uh, other other border towns all over the Southwest have been dealing with for for years. The other big story coming out of D.C. today: the House of Representatives Select Committee on the January sixth boondoggle. The Nancy Pelosi handpicked committee uh, decided that they would be making four criminal referrals to President Trump. They will be making these to the Department of Justice. The four referrals are obstruction of an official proceeding, conspiracy to defraud the United States, conspiracy to make a false statement, inciting or assisting an insurrection. Trump was not alone. Other associates to Trump were also referred to the DOJ, including Rudy Giuliani, John Eastman, Kenneth uh, Cheesebro, Mark Meadows, and Jeffrey Clark. In addition, the J6 committee is referring four Republican members to the House Ethics Committees for refusing to testify after being subpoenaed. Uh, Kevin McCarthy, Jim Jordan, Scott Perry, Andy Biggs of Arizona. Russell Dye, a spokesperson for Representative Jordan, said the ethics referral is just another partisan and political stunt made by a select committee that knowingly altered evidence, blocked majority representation on the committee, uh, I'm sorry, minority representation on the committee for the first time in the U.S. history of the House of Representatives and failed to respond to Mr. Jordan's numerous letters and concerns surrounding the politicization and legitimacy of the committee's work. This is a highly biased joke of a kangaroo court. I, I'm actually surprised that they didn't recommend the electric chair for Donald Trump. <laughs> well, I, I guess, you know, Congress has no power other than to refer to the Justice Department. So it'll be up to Merrick Garland. Yeah. Uh, to either drop it, will the Justice Department and Merrick Garland, and even the Justice Department under um, Bill Barr, will they continue to ignore all the evidence with the Biden crime family, but now all of a sudden take up the take up what the January 6th committee has uh, provided them? And it'll be kind of interesting to see. Well, my hunch is, yes, Merrick Garland will very happily, gleefully go ahead and take this uh, kangaroo court recommendations, and he'll run with it in a very serious manner that, you know, this is this is the United States Congress that's recommend, recommending this, which it's not. But, uh, and, and listen, they're not going to, as soon as the Dems lose control of the House, they, I mean, they had to release it right now because not not because they had any other deadline other than the fact they're out of control come next uh, January. Uh, interesting that Representative Jamie Raskin, who is a liberal amongst liberals, he was on the January 6th committee. He's from the state of Maryland. And it was interesting that he was the one that announced these charges against Donald Trump. Because he himself objected to past certification of election results. And uh, it's rather ironic that uh, they're, they're looking at the fact that Donald Trump objected to uh, the, the outcome of the election and uh, questioned the outcome of the election. And the person that's now charging him has done the exact same thing in the past, as have numerous other Democrats. 
Well, I think what really makes it interesting that we'll see if Merrick Garland, if he really cares about the, the his legacy as uh, as a as a legal mind, because if he pursues this, what Congress has recommended, then he has proven that number one, he's a puppet, and number two, he is entirely political. Because any objective person, uh, I mean, if you're just not an extreme partisan Democrat. Any objective person looks at that January 6th hearings and, and it, I mean, they were laughable. I mean, it, it did not, uh, rise to any level of, uh, legal due process at all. It was just a political game is all it was. By the way, Jim Jordan and Representative Jim Banks, both Republicans have put together a committee that has a rebuttal to the January 6th findings. It's over a hundred pages and, uh, it is, pretty similar to what you just reiterated that uh this was a joke that and it, one of the reasons it was a joke is because uh, again for the first time in the history of the United States House of Representatives there was not a legitimate minority representation on this committee uh so we'll look toward uh, what their comments are but um they are putting together a rebuttal and uh Basically looking into the fact that uh, they, that I, I think a big part of the rebuttal is going to deal with the fact that Nancy Pelosi, when she had the opportunity to call up extra additional help for the Capitol Police, she refused to do so. And apparently they have interviewed a number of people on uh, the Capitol Police Department and uh, gathering information. So it'll be interesting to see what their final counter report has to say. Uh, I'll tell you what, we've got uh, extra, uh, because we're at the end of the year, we've got extra uh, commercial breaks during this last week of uh, news and views. So we're going to take a time out. We'll be right back with more. Stay with us. Let's go, Brandon. Let's go, Brandon. When we're not covering Brandon's heroics. This uh, Brandon, she, what does he play? Well, Mr. President, they're not. Um... Folks, let's hear it for Brandon. What a job he's doing. Let's go, Brandon. Now back to news and Let's news go, on 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back in News and Views for a Monday. Hard to believe, but it was 24 years ago today, 1998, that articles of impeachment approved against U.S. President Bill Clinton. I did not have sex with that woman. Now, he was probably talking about Hillary when he said that, so he wasn't lying. Uh, a quick look at your weather forecast. Tonight, partly cloudy early with increasing clouds overnight, a low of 28. Tomorrow, a high of 47 with uh, partly cloudy skies. Again, for tomorrow night, more of the same with a low around 30. Wednesday, a slight chance of a rain shower, a high of 52. Uh, Wednesday night, again, a chance of rain. The rain really comes in in earnest on Thursday with a 100% chance of rain, a high of 62. Friday's high, again, more rain in the morning, and then it turns cold. I mean, bitterly cold to the point that our highs on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, our highs will be in the mid-30s. So uh, get ready to... Uh, Get out your long johns, an extra blanket for the bed, and uh, an extra log on the fire. Just saying. So is the the snow out of the forecast now? Yeah, I guess it depends on whether or not the cold comes in early and the rain stays late. I mean, I've heard a couple of people say, eh, 
it's possible if the cold gets here a little earlier than expected. We'll see. But uh, there there will be places, uh, you know, well north and a little bit west of here, but up into New England, New England, yeah, they'll, 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 they will have a white Christmas. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll have a white Christmas if you get up real early and count the frost on the windshield. <laughs> but that's that's right. right. Other than that, not so much. So late Friday afternoon, two weeks before they are set to lose their majority on the North Carolina Supreme Court, Democrats on the court issued rulings striking down the state's photo voter identification law and the election map used for state Senate races. Both rulings featured party line votes four to three with the four Democrats outvoting the three Republicans. And of course, that will change come early January. Voters unseated one of those Democrats in the November 8th election and elected Republicans to fill both um, his seat and an open seat. The state Supreme Court will have a 5-2 Republican majority. Yeah, Sam Irvin the fourth or whatever he is um, will will be gone. Uh, Democrat Justice Anita Earls wrote the majority opinion in Holmes versus Moore. The decision throws out North Carolina's 2018 voter ID law, which that was also a constitutional amendment. So clearly this is going against the will of the North Carolina people. This, um, she said, Anita Earls said, plaintiffs challenged Senate Bill 824, which requires a photo identification uh, ID to vote under Article 1, Section 19 of the North Carolina Constitution, alleging the law was enacted at least in part by the intent to discriminate against African-American voters, Earls wrote. And by the way, the uh, headline in the News and Observer today, they more than gleefully carried the water for Earls on this point, reporting it as if it was fact, not just an opinion from the Supreme Court justice, but as, as if it was fact. She went on with her fictional narrative, narrative, quote, while most people who have had one of the acceptable forms of photo identification do not run the risk of being disenfranchised by the statute, the experiences of plaintiffs and other witnesses at trial showed that for themselves and others like them, the risk of disenfranchisement is very real. How long and how hard did they have to go out and find witnesses to come in and testify for the plaintiffs? I mean, they, they really had to search long and hard, high and low, to find a witness that says, I don't have a photo ID. I mean, quite frankly, it is beyond the pale that, that she would cite this as rationale. And again, as yeah. I, we've said a million times, Benny, who is the racist here? It's not the North Carolina legislature. It's not the North Carolina voting public. It is Anita Earls, who's basically come out and saying, if you are black, you don't have the ability to go out and get a photo ID. What an insult to every black American living in in the United States, specifically in North Carolina. You know, I, I think the only argument you can make about a voter being disenfranchised would be uh, I mean, every person in North Carolina has an ID that, that receives government assistance or – has a driver's license. I, there's all sorts of things that are required to have, a, ha, have an identification. About the only people you could say would be disenfranchised, and I hate to say it like this, would be a homeless person in such a mental state that they don't even know what an ID is, much less uh, that they're required to get one. And chances are those people don't vote. 
But um, yeah, and, and, and again, we we said this last week, but we need to have an idiot test. I, I'm sorry, I mean, I, we need to have an idiot test. I mean, I think about uh, what's the guy on Fox News? Uh, I guess it's Jesse Waters that does the or used to do the man on the street. Yeah, they still do. Or they still do. Yeah. I w- I would like to see him come to North Carolina and go up down in any street in any city in North Carolina and start asking for people who do, do not have an ID. I bet he won't find one. Yeah. Some form of ID. If they did, they lie about it. I mean, I just uh, it's just unbelievable. Anita Earls ran and was financed to run for Supreme Court simply because her entire adult life and entire legal life, she has been an advocate for far left leaning causes. That's been her whole career. And well, and she I mean, she, she was the attorney that represented the NAACP on this issue. It's like. Why can't you recuse yourself? I mean, to me, she's obviously biased. I mean, that's just obvious. Well, and for, and for them to pick her to write this opinion is basically saying, <laughs> I'll, I'll put it PG, nanny, nanny, boo, boo. We might have lost, but uh, we're still going to stick it in your eye before we leave. Well, the most amazing thing to me, though, I mean, I'm not surprised at all by Anita Earls because that's what her whole life has been about. But, but uh, Justice Irvin has had a a reasonable, uh, unbiased legal career into the last couple of years. I mean, I think he's lost he, it. He needs, yeah, well, he needs to look back at his legacy, and he really has nothing other but to be embarrassed. He should be embarrassed. Oh, his grandfather's got to be rolling over in his grave. Got to it, be. It's just, it's just unbelievable. And like we talked about last week on the appeals court, you know, Richard Dietz got elected. Uh, to the Supreme Court this last election cycle, so so the governor has the right to appoint someone to his appeals court seat. And what does he do? <laughs> he just goes and appoints a younger Anita Earls and yep. Allison Riggs. Yep. That her, you just go look at her resume. Her entire legal career has been working for far left leaning causes, yep. and it's just it's unbelievable. That's all the Democrats know how to do. Uh, Earls went on to say, we hold that the three-judge panel, talking about the lower court findings of fact, are supported by competent evidence showing that the statute was motivated by a racially discriminatory purpose. Uh, how dare she say that? I mean, listen, this is this is a typical tactic of liberals when they have lost on the, the merits of the debate. What did they do? They pull out the race card. And that's exactly what she did. She said, well, the reason why they did this is because they're racist. They hate blacks. That's why they did this. Shame. Shame that we have a Supreme Court justice in the state of North Carolina that would go there, that would say this. And, you know, they they pull out that dreaded R card, as I like to call it, the race card. And And it's time for, you know, Republicans and moderate Democrats, if there's any moderate Democrats left, to point these people out and say, when you lose an argument, all you know how to do is you know how to jump back to race, and you do it over and over and over again. And I can't possibly help any Democrat in North Carolina that's uh, that votes Democrats, a member of the Democrat Party. I, I don't know how they don't see this as clearly as everybody should. I mean, it's just that's all they have. Well, they see it, but I don't think they're willing to admit it. They're they're weak weak point. Call you a racist. Exactly. <laughs> Scream it. louder. Call them a racist. Phil Berger Jr. wrote for the Republicans, their dissenting opinion. In November 2018, the people of North Carolina overwhelmingly amended their constitution to include a voter ID requirement based on a simple belief that would-be voters 
should be required to identify themselves prior to casting a ballot. Bingo! Enabling legislation in the form of SB 824 was passed to effectuate the, the requirements of that constitutional amendment. The plain language of SB 824 shows no intent to discriminate against any group or individual. There is no evidence that SB 824 was passed with race in mind, let alone racially discriminatory intent, he added. The majority relies, as it must, on a misapplication of relevant case law and on its own inferences to reach a contrary result. Well said. In other words, in plain language, you guys made this up out of thin air. You have uh, you have no legal standing. You are merely calling names to justify your decision. Uh, his dad, Phil Berger, head of the Senate uh, in North Carolina, said if Democrats on the state Supreme Court can't respect the will of the voters, the General Assembly will. Berger said in a prepared statement, regardless of the policymaking goals of the activist judges, the people of North Carolina overwhelmingly support voter ID laws. I look forward to respecting their wishes and passing a new voter ID law next year. And as soon as they do, uh, you know, I, I doubt that they will take it to the North Carolina Supreme Court this time again, just because uh, they know where, uh, well, th they might just to delay it, but they know eventually that the North Carolina Supreme Court would uphold this as they should. So so we'll have to go through the expense of having another yep. constitutional uh, vote on the ballot. and that well, well, to, That's a good question. Will they have to uh, put it back on the ballot as a constitutional amendment? I mean, that's been passed once. Do they have to go through the the the, uh, the process again, or can they just rely on that the, the first time that happened? Yeah, I don't know if... Um, I mean, since this is a North Carolina law issue, uh, I, I guess the Supreme Court would not have any say in this, the Supreme Court of the United States would have any say of this on on the voter on the tax or the, the voter side. I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I, I think they probably have to pass another uh, constitutional amendment. But looking back at the records, and I think it was 2018, I think it passed 57 uh, percent, I believe, of the voters voted uh, for the uh, constitutional amendment. I thought it was higher. Yep. Than, you, you very well might be right. It's been a while. I, I, I thought it was higher than that, but uh, you. I, it was, and which you know, I mean that's pretty. If I'm right on that, I'm looking at an article back from 2018. If I'm right on that, that's that's still a pretty runaway. Oh yeah, 57 percent is, is. Yeah, pretty, yeah, pretty yeah. Solid. That's that's a landslide in in an election. Yeah. Uh, um, the other case, Harper versus Hall. The court's 4-3 Democratic majority tossed out North Carolina's state Senate election map. Uh, retiring Justice Robin Hudson wrote the majority in that opinion. Quote, we determined that the trial court properly concluded that the remedial congressional plan fell short of constitutional standards and that the remedial House plan met constitutional standards. Uh, the conclusions of law were supported by the adequate factual findings, which in turn were supported by competent evidence. However, we hold that the trial court erred in its approval of the remedial Senate plan. So the lower courts on the state Senate maps said they were fine. The Supreme Court had to have their way once again through their last temper tantrum before they leave and exit from the Supreme Court and said, nope, no, nope, we don't like that either, which is almost humorous because it's pretty clear that um, the North Carolina um, legislature will redraw the congressional maps 
Um, you know, we, we talked to somebody about how often they can redraw the, the state Senate and state House maps. But I would think because they've tossed this most recent map, they would have to go back. Since the North Carolina Supreme Court has tossed the, the state Senate map, would they not have to go back? Uh, would that not be forcing the North Carolina legislature to draw a new map? I think they will have to. Uh, um, but with also with a new court. Yeah, that's right. Well, yeah, with a new court that will actually observe the Constitution that says the legislature gets to make these decisions, not uh, a special master as determined by the Supreme Court uh, that the Democrats control. So I, I think um, I think I think. Uh, yeah, that, since it's dealing with a state issue, a state house, a state uh, senate issue, I think that would all be handled at the North Carolina Supreme Court level. O- only because it was the U.S. congressional uh, match that I think is the reason the, the United States Supreme Court is is you know listen to the more more versus uh, you said come on I'm missing uh, I missed the name of that case but it's more the more case that they heard within the last couple of weeks. Uh, Holmes, Holmes versus Moore. Yeah, yeah, Holmes versus Moore. The um, uh, Paul Newby wrote for the majority in in this Senate uh, map case. He writes in part to which branch of government does our constitutional place the role of redistricting? Exactly what you just said, Benny. The constitutional expressly expressly gives that responsibility to the legislative branch. Even the majority so concedes. While paying lip service to this express grant of authority, the majority retains for itself the ultimate redistricting responsibility. So Newby points out that even though the the, the North Carolina uh, State uh, Supreme Court acknowledges, the Democrats on the North Carolina State Supreme Court acknowledge that the Constitution expressly gives the responsibility to the legislative branch but yet they still come back and say, no, nah, we're going to do it ourselves. Yeah, we don't like it when it's Republicans. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, yeah. yeah. That's uh, what the Supreme Court, North Carolina Supreme Court is saying. They're just saying, hey, we're partisan. Well, and, and again, you've got, you've, you know, I, I don't want to mix federal and state law, but the, the, it's liberals on both sides and conservatives on both sides. But up in the January 6th committee, uh, they're saying, oh, these Republicans didn't follow the law down here in North Carolina. You've got the North Carolina Supreme Court that says, well, this is what the law says. This is what our Constitution says. But but we're smarter. We've got a whole – and we're more powerful, so we're just going to go ahead and and make sure our way is the way that you're going to have to go. But uh, guess what? You're out of power in less than two weeks. But, so. you know, this, this highlights – this really highlights the, uh, the way conservatives and I – consider myself a conservative um you know i mean we jump up and down about the importance of the separation of powers between the various branches of government exactly and that's why that's why when you have control of the white house as a republican or whatever party um you you can't all of a sudden be okay with people stepping over the constitution with the separation of powers just because your party's in office so because when you do that when the democrats get in charge and they think that hey the judicial branch has the ability to do things that that normally uh, determined by the elected representatives of the people so so I'm, that's why you have to be whether you're republican or democrat democrats don't care but if you're a true republican and a true conservative you, you if a republican governor or a republican judiciary was doing this 
you need to stand up and scream just as loud, in my opinion. Well, and, and here's the problem. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. The Democrats want anarchy. This is by design. Yep. It's it's not because they just want their way. They want anarchy. They want to do away with any state constitution, any federal constitution. Let's destroy it and let's start over again. This is exactly they deconstruction. Let's do away with everything that we've lived with for the past two hundred years, and we've got a better way that will put us in control uh, for as long as. Uh, well, of course, they're not going to be in control that much longer if you look at how old the geezers are at top of the Democratic Party. <laughs> But, hey, listen, we got to take another time out. Stay with us. More news and views coming up. Back to the show that really makes you think. He is a genius. He's all-powerful. He brought a kind of heat. He could be the best. Just don't hurt yourself, okay? More news and views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right, welcome back in. Uh... Benny, you and I were talking about whether or not they'd have to re-vote on the constitutional amendment for the voter photo ID. Uh, Keith Kidwell, Representative Keith Kidwell, who listens to our program, a friend of the program, uh, texted me and he said, I believe I'm correct in that the constitutional amendments stand. So uh, according to Keith, I'm interpreting that as that uh, they just have to rewrite the law, but the voters of the state of North Carolina wouldn't have to re-vote on the constitutional amendment. That that would stand. I got you. So. so it would just be an issue of, of drafting new legislation to uh, comply with what the voters ask for, I guess. And I guess the only the only caveat would be would they have a couple of Democrats come over and vote with them so it would be veto proof. I mean we know it would we know it would pass, but would it be veto proof? Mm-hmm. And listen, it's pretty obvious that Cooper, after he appointed this replacement for Dietz, you know, the the left-wing um, individual, I'm, I'm going to be nice about it, left-wing individual, uh, <laughs> that he would be very gleefully happy to uh, veto the voter ID bill. Uh, Town Hall and the New York Post are both taking note of the fact that Cousin Eddie is at it again uh, listen, this guy would not know the truth if it came up and slapped him in the face. Here's Joe Biden lying again, this time in front of a group of veterans, talking about his uncle being awarded the Purple Heart. Cut one. You know, I, uh, my dad, when I got elected vice president, he said, Joey, Uncle Frank fought in the Battle of the Bulge. He was not feeling very well now, not because of the Battle of the Bulge, but he said, and he won the Purple Heart, and he never received it. He never, he never got it. Do you think you could help him get it? We'll surprise him. So he got him the Purple Heart. He had won it in the Battle of the Bulge. And I remember he came over to the house, and I came out, and he said, present it to him. Okay, we had the family there. I said, Uncle Frank, you won this, and I went to peace. He said, I don't want the damn thing. I'm serious. He said, I don't want it. I said, what's the matter, Uncle Frank? You earned it. He said, yeah, but the others died. The others died. I lived. I don't want it. Joe, a very nice uh, recollection, except it's not true. Uh, First of all, when Joe says, listen, I'm serious. No joke. I'm serious. No, that's not a joke. I'm serious. You know he's lying. So Biden claimed on Friday that his uncle, Frank Biden, won the Purple Heart for his actions during the Battle of the Bulge in World War II. There's no evidence of that. The New York Post went back and looked through the records. No evidence. 
Biden told the story apparently to make a point about the humility of veterans, which is rather ironic coming from Biden. But the known facts indicate it's not true. Biden's father, Joe Biden Sr., died in September of 2022, more than six years before his son was elected vice president. But yet from the dead, he came back and said, Joey, we need to get uh, Uncle Frank this uh, Purple Heart after he was vice president. Uh, the White House did not immediately respond to the New York Post request for comment. The Defense Department referred to the questions to the Army, the military branch, which Frank Biden served. The Army did not respond, <laughs> you think. Uh, Frank Biden's tombstone does not identify him as a Purple Heart honoree, nor does his obituary. A partial registry of known Purple Heart recipients also uh, note that anyone by that name never received the word. Uh, though the database is not comprehensive, uh, the tale invi- uh, involving Uncle Joe's Uncle <laughs> Frank is similar to another emotional, impactful false story told by the then presidential candidate uh, involving a Navy captain supposedly refusing to accept a silver star for his heroism in uh, Afghanistan. The Washington Post checked that one and that didn't follow either. So, I mean, it's interesting how uh, Joe continues to have these um, premonitions and uh, how he actually talks to people from the dead. (laughs) Well, you know, Biden, with his 50-year career, uh, he he has always had these collection of stories that he just throws up in the moment. And and to your point, you know he's lying when he says, I'm serious. Yeah. But but the (laughs) first... But the first thing, first indication he, he talks about is Uncle winning the Purple Heart. Well, first yeah. of all, it ain't a damn beauty contest. <laughs> you, you're awarded the honor of the Purple Heart, just like you're awarded the Medal of Honor. You don't win it. You're not, you know, running for something. Well said. So it goes to show you how freaking stupid he is. But you know, he, I, uh, I just, I have zero respect for him. I you know. know. I hear Sorry. You. I might can respect the office, but I don't respect him. Uh, disappointing news out of town hall today and other media outlets report on this as well. Listen, girls sports is all but over on Friday. A federal appeals court dismissed a lawsuit brought forward by female athletes challenging Connecticut's Connecticut's policy that allows male body transgender athletes to compete in high school uh, sports. The challenge was brought forward by four female runners who claimed that they were forced to compete against a transgender The three-judge panel of Second U.S. Court of Appeals in New York City upheld a lower court judge's dismissal of a lawsuit challenging the policy. The panel said the four cisgender athletes lacking standing to sue, in part because their claims that they were deprived of wins, state titles, and athletic scholarship opportunities were speculative. So, in other words, that this uh, now I, I didn't look up to see who was on this panel. Uh, of the of this U.S. Circuit Court. By the way, the um, folks that represented the girls, the Alliance Defending Freedom, great great organization. They they do a lot for the conservative cause. Uh, they are now considering making appeal to the United States Supreme Court. But but the idea that well, it's only speculative that you you wouldn't have won uh, had you had you gotten to the state finals. Well, they didn't get to the state finals in some cases because they were competing against a male athlete and uh, you know you talk about speculative i mean this this court is speculative with their decision 
saying that they didn't have standing. Now, again, if this stands, girls sports is over. I mean, it's really curious yeah. that, that, that the liberals continue to talk about the war on women when this kind of shenanigans take place. And, and where is the National Organization for Women in this issue? Where is, where is uh, Gloria Allred and, and other liberals that have stood up for women's rights for so long? And they're just silent. So so we're finally seeing all of a sudden it wasn't about women's rights. It's just about a partisan political yep. party, and that's it. Yep. I mean, these liberals that, are, that stand by and quiet, they may quietly disagree, but they stand by quiet on this issue. What happens? When their five foot, hundred and five pound daughter that plays soccer goes up against a six four, two hundred and twenty pound man playing soccer, and he breaks her neck or breaks her back because they collide so hard. I mean, it's just interesting. It's just interesting, you would bring that up because another story in town hall today, and we got to take a break here, but says a transgender student in Oklahoma, a biological male goes into the girls' bathroom in Oklahoma, which, by the way, this is against state law in Oklahoma. But he cold cocks three different girls in the girls' bathroom. So uh, we're riding it out to the heartbreak. Is that right? Okay. Okay. All right. I would like I'd, I would like to be one to volunteer to issue the punishment to that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the 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 biological male's mom told police that. Um, well, uh, he he is just you know he now identifies he was born a male but he now identifies as a female, and uh, but what's even more bizarre, the excuse for the mother of the biological male was the mother blamed one of the girls that got cold cocked because she says that one of those girls were bullying her child. <laughs> it's that rich. So here's a biological male who's strong enough to cold cock three different girls in the girls' bathroom, but he was justified because one of those girls was bullying him. You know, and you know, the United States, and of course all over the world, but the United States, there has been some phenomenal amateur female athletes in all sorts of sports, whether it be swimming and diving. Uh, you know, Mia Hamm with soccer comes to mind. You know, all sorts of people that recognize around the world. Where are they on this? Why are they being silent? Uh, they should step up for and to the defense of these little girls that are coming along now that are five, six, seven years old playing soccer, yep. and then all of a sudden they might get get to high school and they got to play play against people that are four, five, six inches taller and fifty and a hundred pounds heavier. I well, mean, and most crazy. of them are just not going to do it. I mean, they're just going to no. say, "No, I'm not going to do that." And and listen, a lot of a lot of parents that would be concerned about their daughter's safety just say, no, honey, you're not going to do it. I mean, you yeah. know, it'd be the same attitude about, you know, a, a, a small framed guy going into high school wanting to play on the varsity football team. And, you know, parents can say, well, you might, uh, you might uh, get crunched a little too hard. Well, some parents of these women are just going to say, you know what, if you're playing soccer against a bunch of guys, no, we're not going to go there. We're not going to do it. Yeah. Uh, last story of the day, Attorney General Merrick Garland marked the first night of the Jewish holiday of Hanukkah with a call for Americans to come together to oppose the disturbing rise in anti-Semitism and other acts of bigotry. At this year's National Hanukkah uh, menorah lighting at the White House eclipse, ellipse, rather, 
Uh, Garland, who is Jewish, gave his remarks a personal edge by uh, sharing a family harrowing story of escaping from the Holocaust in Europe and finding refuge in the United States. Living without fear of persecution under the protection of law is what distinguished America from so many other countries, Garland said. You know, that, that is, and now listen, kudos for Garland for speak, speaking up on this issue. I, I agree with him. I, I'm not going to disagree with his statements. But it rings a little hollow coming from Mayor Garland. I mean, how many times in the last two years, well, even more so in the last six months since the Roe v. or the Dobbs decision, which overturned Roe v. Wade, how many pro-life pregnancy centers have either been threatened or firebombed? And the Department of Justice has basically done nothing on this issue. And yet he comes out and says what he did. And again, kudos for speaking up against anti-Semitism. But but why are you so quiet on these other issues? Not to mention, uh, yeah, they've been quiet on those issues. But look at the issues like the Supreme Court justices when you have people. Bingo. Uh, tr- I mean, try to uh, actually had a murder plot against a couple of Supreme Court justices yep. just because they're conservative justices. Then you look at uh, Merrick Garland issue in the letter last year or two years ago, uh, basically considering parents domestic terrorists just because they go to a school board meeting. I mean, we, we need a real attorney general that just doesn't answer to the political party. Oh, and there's numerous other situations, too. Why why is the DOJ abandoned the idea of defending religious colleges from lawsuits that would force them to act contrary to their beliefs about uh, sex and gender which we've seen that and and the doj has said no we're not we're not going to defend these institutions very frustrating yeah we need an attorney general who uh, would do his job and not just represent the biden administration but represent the american people hey we got to run we're off tomorrow for a duke basketball game we'll see you wednesday didn't make it did i